to really judge, evaluate our situation, we need two information. Is it here? And the answer is yes. Is it possible to grow fast? And the answer is yes, it's possible to grow fast. That, that's enough information that we should shut down, control the, control the importations and, and, and stamp it out and eliminate it from here. Forgotten Corner Podcast would not exist without our listeners. If you enjoy the work we are doing on this show and would like to support further, please consider a donation through our Patreon account, patreon.com backslash forgottencornerpod, or visit our website, forgottencornerpod.com. Welcome back to the Forgotten Corner Podcast. My name is Scott Schmidt. I am your co-host here alongside my good friend, Jeremy Appel, also a co-host. Uh, we are very proud to announce that we are part of the Harbinger Media Network. Um, it is a progressive sort of network of podcasts kind of challenging the right-wing dominance of such a thing. And uh, it's a coast-to-coast uh, venture that uh, we're really excited to be part of uh, with other podcasts such as The Alberta Advantage, uh, off court and uh, progress Alberta. So go check those out as well. And uh, on with our show, Jerome. How are you doing this week? Not too bad. Just uh, you know, keeping busy. And uh, got got a couple uh, couple stories uh, coming down the uh, the pipeline, so to yeah. speak. Are you stocking up on toilet paper for the next wave? <laughs> uh, no. No, no, I'm not. Toilet paper was like the least of my problems during the the first wave and second wave. So I, yeah, uh, I, I felt the same way. I but it was top of mind for a number of people. So you never know. Yeah, that was man. That seems like a decade ago last year. No, it really was a decade ago. Mo Cranker, our editor, producer, all things in between. How are you doing today? Do you feel freer right now? I feel quite well. And free, thank you. Do you have any announcements you want to make? I thought you were going to announce it for me. Well, you can say it, and then I can talk about how like unacceptable this decision is. Oh yeah, I guess when this airs, I'll be like you won't. You'll be almost done. Yeah, Yeah, like literally the second last day. So say it. What are you doing? Uh, I found a new job, and I won't be at the Medicine Hat News after this is aired. I guess. We we oh, are you're leaving that soon, eh? Yeah, it's gone. Where are you going to? I found a job at Tourism Medicine Hat. It's a one year contract, and it's going to be a lot of website development, story writing stuff. I really like doing. And for our listeners in Edmonton or Calgary, uh, yes, you heard that correctly. Medicine Hat has a tourism department that attempts to get people to come here and see all the wonderful things we have to offer. Like what? A pottery, 330 days of sunshine. <laughs> That's right. The TP, which was a hand-me-down from Calgary. Hey, man, that was, that was in the end zone at the opening ceremonies of the Calgary Olympics. And then they just were like, does anybody want this? And Medicine Hat was like, yes, we need a shtick. So we took it. Proud of that. Well, Mo, I'm sad that you're leaving but i'm actually really happy for you because uh some of our listeners might not know that you were on this 
local journal journalism initiative contract right through uh, basically the federal government had given us some money that we could hire you back after the temporary layoffs. And uh, you had no choice but to uh, do what you needed to do and find something in case, even though we found out afterward that they were prepared to offer you a job to stay. But that's what happens when you snooze, you lose. Why are you? Yeah, uh, to be fair, I totally would have applied for this job and taken it either way. Yeah, no, absolutely. Nonetheless, it's still, uh, it's sad wonder, to see you go. I there's no one left. I wonder who the new Medicine Hat News reporter will be now that we have you. Sorry, not we. Um, <laughs> the have, only one have this, you know, reputation in in, in the province as this uh, bastion of truth and justice. I, yeah, yeah. I wonder who that's going to attract. Yeah, it's a small group right now. We literally have two reporters now yeah. after Moli. So it's weak. Yeah, it's it's a sad state of affairs at the Medicine Hat News, but. Uh, nonetheless, I'll keep going until they tell me I can't, I guess, or unless somebody wants to give me a job at Tourism Medicine Hat, then I'll probably just take that as well. I'll go and be Gosha's research assistant. She sounds like she's probably going places and she can, she's not, she's not buying that right now. So anyway, we want to get to our guest because now that we've brought her up, we really want to get talking to her. But, um, do you have anything else you want to talk about Jeremy before we get on with the show? Yep, they don't call you the best color man in sports for no reason, you know? Um, I'm just trying to think, what did I do last night? <laughs> My God. All right, on with the show. <laughs> so the, the short answer is no. Right. Gosha Gasparovich is a developmental biologist and researcher at the University of Calgary who has been in the news the past few weeks sounding the alarm on COVID-19 variant strains, notably the B117 or UK strain, which she says has the very real potential to become the dominant strain in Alberta and within a matter of weeks. Had the province cared enough about this virus to actually listen to the experts in the first place, they might have even talked to Gosha last October when she predicted a harsh second wave or maybe even last spring when she first started advocating for a zero COVID policy. We are extremely pleased to welcome Gosha to the show today, where we hope to not only shed light on the real danger we face as a province right now, but also the sheer simplicity of predicting this next wave and why it's not something that requires a whole lot of guessing. Gosha, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me. It's nice to be here. Absolutely. Did I... I've tr I tried your last name like four times before we went live. Did I get it right? Yes, you got it right. <laughs> oh man, like I, this is why I have to be in print because I can't read. Anyway, so listen, before we get into what we always do in our show, which is talk to people about who they are and where they came from, I wanted to ask you, how are your parents doing? Thank you for asking. So uh, they are better, like stabilized so my both parents had COVID and my sister too uh, they are back in Poland so last two weeks were pretty uh, pretty intense and um, emotionally draining so they both have quite it quite hard my my dad landed in the hospital uh, fortunately he didn't need to be uh, intubated or anything like this but just oxygen but he's now back home oh, we're really glad to hear they are still sick so yeah. it's it's something like for almost a year they managed to avoid getting infected but once it's everywhere then 
what just... has pardon our ignorance to this but what's the sort of covid situation been like in Poland? Has it been much the same as here? First wave, second wave, that kind of thing? How have they been handling it? It was a little bit different. So they had first wave and then it was stable number quite high of daily new cases. And then it went up again. So they didn't have this wave shapes so much as, as we had. To us, more Austria is more similar to Alberta. For, for this, but Poland was Poland, Czech Republic. They 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 they, they had a little bit different. And, and wh why is that? Do you think? I don't know. I I thought that something with the reporting or, but, but I, I don't know. It was difficult for me to. I thought about it, but I couldn't find an answer why why it looked different. It also looked different in Russia. Um, what made them to have this stable period? I don't know. So do you know where, do your parents know where they contracted it? From my sister. Really? Yeah. So my sister works and um, yeah. So she's exposed to people. And sure. Even, yeah. yeah. Well, and that really sheds some light on, on what people sort of sometimes forget about this virus, right? Is that like, you might be of an age or a certain level of health that COVID's not a real threat to you as far as personally, but giving it to other people is like spreading it around. Like it's obvious that like younger generations can give it to their parents who are the ones that are at risk. Right. Mm -hmm. And also we don't know, like with my sister who she had it like the kind of difficult heart flu. She said the symptoms were very weird now she's uh, she's okay but i don't know what will happen to her in the future like how much how she, how much damage it did to to her lungs and her tissues really because nobody investigates people after afterwards right like she, she doesn't get x-ray after and if it hits her next time what will be effect because we can be hit with this couple of times and i saw a story maybe today or yesterday and like it was just one story and you never know exactly um but it seemed pretty credible talking about a study in the uk that was looking at what was happening after people had um covid and, and whatnot and people like one in ten or something that had been in the hospital were dying within 10 months of getting out of the hospital that kind of thing like there there was it was talking about these lingering effects of COVID that we are just barely being able to start to understand because we've only now seen one year of what happens after someone has it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, long, long COVID is a, is a big topic. Um, I don't know exactly how many people, how big percentage of people have it, but first of all, having, having been long and this, like just yesterday I, I heard about the person who who contracted COVID like early in spring and still still has problems she can still cannot uh, go for a longer walk even because cannot cannot uh, catch breath and uh, that was a person that was involved in sports and so on so sports are are gone for her and and there's plenty of people like this and, and it's a numbers game if you have so many people infected 
uh, then imagine how many people with disabilities we will have and with basically ruined lives in some way. Well, and it, it, it obviously, like, you know, they talk about how it's, you know, the, you know, senior citizens are the ones that are in the real danger group and these kinds of things. But I was just, there's a player, like an NHL player for the Buffalo Sabres who is out right now and he had COVID and he is like a 26-year-old professional athlete. And he is, the whole story is about how he is struggling. Like it is mm-hmm. leaving a real lasting effect. Other players on the team that had had it are recovered and back to skating and these kinds of things. And this guy is like really, really struggling, hard to, hard to breathe, can't, has, you know, all of these other things that are, and so it's not, it's important that people understand that it, this isn't, you're not just guaranteed to be okay because you're a certain age or a certain level of health or a certain level of fitness. You are at, you are in danger no matter what. Yeah, it's true. You are, you are in danger no, no matter what. And we also don't know much for kids. We don't know how, what will be the long-term effects. And for me as a developmental biologist, it's a little bit scary because if you mess with developmental process, you can have really serious effects later. Um, so I cannot precisely predict what it would be, but I know that that is sick. Don't mess up with development process. You have long, as Scott mentioned before, you've long been involved with the uh, COVID zero initiative, which I think most people who are listening have at least heard of. Can you tell us a bit more about what it is and what you're trying to achieve? So, COVID zero is about getting to almost like basically to stopping all the community transmission, all the transmission chains of the of the of the disease in this case in COVID. Um, so because nothing can go from zero, so if you don't have, so basically you go to zero new cases per day in the community and wait at least fourteen days. So one replication time, one incubation period, not replication, incubation period, to be almost sure that, okay, or sometimes they even wait three periods to say, okay, it was, or 28 days or two periods to to say, okay, we probably eliminated it here because for 28 days, we didn't have any new case. But then you're sure that you don't have anything to start from like that you don't have anybody with COVID. So it doesn't matter what you do, nobody can transmit COVID to anybody because there is no COVID. So nobody can get sick. You have to, though you have to monitor for, for imported cases. So you have to have strong quarantine, really mandatory and supervised and lots of tests, lots of testing of the whole like monitoring the whole population. And as soon as you see something in the community, you, you stamp it out. And that, that's what New Zealand been doing. They, they eliminate that, they almost eliminate, like went to zero. They had no community transmission. They had people coming to the country, being quarantined in the hotels. As soon as something leaked from there, they made local lockdowns to, to stamp it out. And they've been really successful with that. Uh, and, and that's, yeah, that's basically something quite simple. And even 
So there is a lot of countries that are successful and regions that are successful with that. Like Australia did it as well. Um, also, probably you 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 know you you've seen it like they had this big second wave in Victoria, Australia, that it was from the leaked quarantine, quarantine or quarantine, quarantine. But you're doing quarantine, that's yeah. Okay. <laughs> from the I was like, I was like, quarantine was like I liked it. I was like Clementine. Anyway, <laughs> okay. So from the leaked quarantine, they had a big wave, but they they, they decided to. They decided to stop it to to get to zero to to get to this two donuts date so no new no new cases no new deaths and they knew that it's possible they bent the wave with the with the strict lockdowns and and strict border controls they they've been they had a halving time of like six days in some moment and at the end of October, they were at zero. But the information was, the communication and information was super clear that yes, we are going to zero. We want to, to eliminate, to, to have no COVID transmission here. We want to have our life back. And so everybody was on board why they are doing it, why they are in lockdown and why they contributing to this effort. And, and, and they were successful in it. Well, and, and it sh shortens the amount of time that they have to deal with this stuff, right? Because they're living a fairly normal life over there now, are they not? Yes, they are living a fairly normal life. I, I've seen like <laughs> videos posted of festivals where people are packed one by one without masks, shouting, uh, singing together with a band. And, uh, and it looked like something from 2018, not 2020. Right. And, so I always stopped watching anything people from New Zealand or Australia post because I'm so envious. I want to cry then because like, come on, it's like some imaginary world that I lived once in and that is gone. It's yeah, it's like Lord of the Rings uh, <laughs> took place there. Well, I, right, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, when we first when it first arrived in North America, right? Did you know when they first started talking about flatten the curve and learning to live with this? Did you know then that like they were making a mistake by doing that? And then if you did, why did did they not have did they not know the what how cells grow? Like I'm just wondering how it is because we've obviously failed trying to do this flatten the curve thing. It didn't work. Yeah, this, okay, first time, like flattened, the, I think it was because of this crazy idea of herd immunity, infection acquired herd immunity that popped up in both in Sweden and UK at this time. So then I guess the flattened the curve was like lesser evil that they, oh my God, that's something so, so at least like, let's not go there. So let's tell that we have to flatten the curve. Uh, and it was, yeah, and then, then there was this sentence of living with the virus and we have to learn to live with the virus. And this gave me creeps. Like <laughs> I totally like some, such a dystopian idea. Uh, okay, so I'm from Poland and so my grandparents lived through the second world war so somehow I'm biased in this way that 
this allegories of Second World War just come like sort of automatically. And, and I thought like, okay, learn to live with the virus. It's like, we have a German invasion in 1939. And then the government says like, no, Germans are coming here. And, but we, we have to learn to live with it. Just, they will clean one village at the, at the time. We can accept this, but let's, let's just learn. So it's our new reality. Like nobody would do something like this, right? It, 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 would, be, it would be outrageous to, to just accept at the beginning, even without trying to fight, accept that, uh, that, that some enemy or dangerous uh, bug will be here and we just feed it a little bit at a time and and pray that we won't be the ones that who would be caught and shot. But I mean, that's what France did. Yeah, that's why I, for a long time, I was trying to avoid this allegory. <laughs> no, it's and, okay. And, well, I mean... and, and they were rescued by somebody else, right? But right. If, if, if war wouldn't be won by both Russians or Soviets and allies, then they would live with the with Nazis still now. And I don't know if it would be a happy life. We, we, well, I think we're pretty sure we know if it would be a happy life or not. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be here, but... That's no, you wouldn't. So listen, so, we want I mean, some people, you know, some to my haters that right. It was hard to not <laughs> jump right into the COVID talk today, but like uh, you, you brought up growing up in Poland and whatnot, and that's a perfect time to swing back a bit because what we like we do on this show, we need people to know the person we're talking to a little bit. And uh, you grew up in Poland. Uh, you schooled in Germany at least at some point, right, to get your PhD. And then you ended up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, uh, doing your work there. So can you just tell us a little bit about what your life was like growing up and sort of what, what led you to a science um, passion and, and, and so forth? Mm. So I grew up in Poland and uh, during a, yeah, some late 70s, 80s. Um, <clears throat> that was fun. <laughs> my parents are... Uh, my, my dad is an engineer, my mom is physics teacher, so like sciences were always kind of um, an easy, easy thing for me and math was simple, I never needed to learn anything, like I just did it, so it was, it was just, just easy, easy. I, I liked easy things and it was easy. And, <laughs> and, and then I, I studied biotechnology at the University of Gdańsk, you know, Gdańsk, Lech Wałęsa, Solidarność and so. And um, yeah, and my, my master thesis, thesis was in um, biophysics. Uh, did I say biotechnology or biophysics? You said, bio, you said biophysics, yeah. But, oh, I studied, I studied biotechnology in Gdańsk and the master okay. thesis was in biophysics. Right. Uh, so, and then I moved to Germany to, to, to do my PhD in developmental biology. And then my research brought me to, to, to Canada, to Calgary, because um, I found, I, I did a, I was investigating a role of one gene and it turned out to be, to have a role in placenta development and the best mouse placenta lab was in, uh, in Calgary. So I joined this lab here. Um, and, but during this time, like since this, my, 
biotechnology and biophysics, then going to developmental biology, all of this was dealing with um, dynamic, dynamic biological processes. So how, what is the kinetics of enzyme binding, uh, how the cells grow, grow, how they differentiate, how from one cell you build the whole tissue and how then it grows to the whole organism. And it's very, there's a time component in, in this, right? So like even embryo development in so and so, so and so many, first you have one cell, then two, then four, then, the, then eight, 16 and so, so on, the blastocyst is formed. And from the blastocyst, you, you, you have embryo and placenta and it, it grows. And after, you know, that after so and so many days, the, the legs will be formed, the arms will be formed and, and so on. So, so for me, it was somehow looking at the dynamics of things. It's almost, almost now intuitive. So seeing like the growth of the, of the virus and how it spreads, it, it, it's, it's so easy and predictable in, in a way that if you start from two cases in such and such time, you will have 2000. Um, and also, so, so there is one thing like totally on the, in the lab, in the working in the lab, your, your topic of study, your exper plant experiments and what they will show, you analyze your data. But then it's this everyday life in the, in, in the lab that also teaches you something. And for me, it's, and teaches you like on the visceral level, the, the dynamics of biological things. So probably it's like being a gardener. You just, you don't consciously study your gardening, but you see how the plants grow and you know how and when to react to them. And here, so my example from the lab is like when, I grow my cells on the Petri dishes for whatever, for experiment or just to have them. And you have to feed them every two days to give them new solution or liquid solution with the food. But sometimes there is a long weekend and then, well, you want to go skiing or somewhere, you don't want to go to the lab and think, okay, maybe I don't feed them then every two days, but I come on in Monday and then I feed them. And it happened to me a few times that on Monday I'm coming and all the cells are almost dead. They are not completely dead, but they, are, they don't look happy. But then, okay, so I almost killed them, but not completely. And then I, I feed them again and two days, ago, uh, two, two days later they rebound. So it's possible to kill your cells but you can rescue them. And I, and I think that's what we are doing now with the, with the virus, that we almost kill it, but then we throw more food on it and just rescue it from being dead. And we did it once in spring when we've been at 10 daily, daily new cases a day and it was enough to, to keep the restrictions for one month more and we will be at zero. So we would kill all the local transmission of the virus but no, we throw more people on it and it could grow again. So, I mean, and this is the thing, like I, that was the, when we talked about this the other day, I mean, to me, that's the, that's really it here. Like people really need to focus on this. Like we, this virus is a living thing and we are what it eats, right? Like we're the yeah. food that we're feeding it. And if they're almost, if it's almost dead, that's not dead. It's still here. And we always think that like, for whatever reason, it's like, 
oh, the cases are trending down. The cases are trending down based on whatever restrictions we put in place. When we, when we, whenever we've had policy, we've affected the spread of the virus. And as soon as we lift that policy, we just rescue this virus from almost being dead. What I don't get, I, I, I guess I get why we did that a year ago. I just, I don't get why they can, how they can do that today. Like I understand people want to get the economy open, but like when the health minister stands up in the exact same press conference this week and says, we need to be very concerned about this variant and how it could spread. Also, great job, guys. We've, this thing is trending down. We should, we're going to, this is a great time to continue with our reopening plan. Like how do they, they obviously have access to the information that says, put people out there and the virus will grow. So why do, are they like, do they not see that that's literally policy that kills? That's something I, I don't understand. <laughs> like why? Because I don't think it can be like, I understand that in spring somebody, and there was a lot, a lot, uh, even like, Science, some scientists or some doctors would say about, okay, we can maybe control it and keep it on the slow burn. However, it's unethical, but this aside, keeping it at slow burn is not possible. We, we've seen that this experiment was done. It's, it's not possible on theoretical level and on practical as well. Like as, as, long, as soon as you give the food to the virus, it will start growing exponentially even very slowly, like in, in summer, we had we had a slow, constant growth. It was doubling every 60 days. So it's something that, yeah, it's, it's growth. It's slow, but it's growth. Uh, so, so, so now it's, it's really clear that it's not possible to have this, to have it under control, like 100 daily new cases. It's, it's just not, it will start to grow. And so why somebody decides to keep having the waves um i i don't know it's almost like one day my husband said that like you know it's almost like the aliens are standing behind them and saying like no 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 you have it to like please like obfuscate a bit and and make people believe that everything is okay and let's have this third wave and then we dump it out and so on because we really want this virus to be here there's no other explanation. I don't. Uh, they're really. I mean, <laughs> honestly, they they every every piece of evidence we have, every expert that does this, like yourself, that predicts these things, is saying we're gonna. This is we're just walking straight into another wave. They're standing up there and saying this is a real concern, but we're still gonna do this. Like, do they honestly believe that like there's more political damage to be done? by keeping the keeping a lockdown in place than there would be if we have 2000 cases a day and sentence 20 plus people to death every single day through another wave like i just don't see how they can like at this point if if well when this second when this next third wave comes like i will never relent on some of the shit that they've been saying in the last week I will never, ever take a breath 
letting them have a break from me reminding them that they did this. Every piece of information was available for them to avoid this. We knew how to not, we knew how to beat this thing and we didn't do it. It was one thing to be like, hey, North America didn't realize how bad this might be. But it's no longer acceptable to ignore the evidence that's out there. Yeah, we have all the information and the information was presented to governments. They, they even, even the governments presented this information. Like, so you cannot present such an information to the public not knowing what it means. So what? lack of knowledge is not an excuse because they know. What do you make of uh, Dr. Hinshaw's uh, performance as the uh, chief medical officer of health? Because you know, at the outset of the pandemic, you know, everyone was like on team Hinshaw, you know, she would go to these press conferences and speak very calmly and tell everyone that, you know, this is something that we need to take seriously, but don't worry, you're doing a good job. And now um, she's seen as, you know, essentially giving scientific, uh, ostensibly scientific justification for these government policies. I understand that she's an administrator, so she technically can't speak out. But what, what, what do, you, do you think she's striking an appropriate balance? I don't know. Sorry, I, I don't, I, I, I'm not in public health. I totally don't know how it works inside and what are things taken into into consideration. I mean, she's all, I, I, I mean, we can speculate and we're we are just speculating, but it does seem pretty obvious at this point that she is being obviously like influenced by the political side of this. And there's a political side of this that wants to like continue to sweep this thing under the rug. It must be at least a little bit hard to take when like they actually like there was almost like she tweeted about you whether she mentioned you or not and it was like to discredit your findings and like that must be maddening to a certain degree that like the top doctor who people say like this is the one I got to listen to is saying like ah don't listen to this expert from Calgary. Yeah, that was a very difficult five days for me, <laughs> that I have to admit. Uh, I, I made a mistake in my tweet that I have to admit too, because um, I said I used the very affirmative language, uh, like saying that, hey, we have exponential growth of this and it's doubling every seven days. I should say it seems that it's doubling based on the information you were given information i'm given and based on how it's not really dated in the way it should so that's the most i can do out of it and so i put this information under the graph but of course nobody reads the footnotes on the graph and i'm aware of it so actually i, I should be more explicit in a tweet on the on the top of it uh, but then Dr. Hinshaw's tweet was, okay, she didn't name me in the tweet, mm, but saying it's inaccurate. Yes, my tweet was inaccurate. It's not seven days, probably. It's not an accurate number, especially if data Yet. are... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially if data are not accurate. Like you, you base it, your 
estimate can be only as accurate as the uh, underlying data. And if data, if the cases are not dated um, when the swap test was done, but they are dated by the release date, then yeah, then you cannot have accurate results from that. Um, but she didn't say, so th 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 this is an interesting thing, how everything is safely um, and uncommittedly um, worded by her. It's like, it's, it's the whole art of wording things. She didn't say I'm wrong. So the seven, so it, she just so, said that seven is, wouldn't be an accurate number. She didn't say what the accurate number is. She if didn't say not, it wasn't exponentially growing. She didn't say that this, that what you were saying wasn't on the way. Like that's what I, I mean, I wrote about that last week and said like, okay, Hinshaw says these aren't these numbers that this climb isn't all from one 24 hour period. I like, maybe I'm just too like out of the, you know, I'm just too layman's to under uh, understand the jargon, but uh, like, I don't understand how that matters at all. We had zero cases and then we have, now we have 259 of them. Oh, and, and, I, and every day the number goes up at a time when we need the number to go down. And while it's going up, we are making, we are sending more people out into the community and saying it's okay to go in the community. How is it possible that, that, that in, under our current restrictions, that number will just start to fall? Yeah, it, it won't start to fall. It's almost impossible. <laughs> so for me, the main message is it doesn't matter if it doubles every seven days or every 12 days or every six days. It matters that it doubles. And even more, even if it doesn't double, it is there and it has potential to double. So to, to really judge, evaluate our situation, we need two information. Is it here? And the answer is yes. Is it possible? to grow fast? And the answer is yes, it's possible to grow fast. That, that's enough information that we should shut down, control the, control the importations and, and, and stamp it out and eliminate it from here. It, it's like if you have, a, if your doctor detects that you have a black melanoma mole on, the, on your skin, the proper action is to cut it out. It's, it's not, or, or, it's not you can just say, like, oh, it's just 0.01% um, of all your cells. So let's monitor it. Think about okay. how many cells aren't melanoma. Yeah, yeah right? look how many cells aren't melanoma. Just <laughs> Almost all of them. You're fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, and you have to do it before, it's, before you have metastasis. Because once you have metastasis with melanoma, it's, you're in super bad situation. So the proper thing is, is to cut it. So I wanted to chew on uh, variants a bit longer because, I mean, that's really the reason we have you here today. So for starters, just tell us, I guess, how, how do variants work? How, how do they come to be? Okay, so, <clears throat> so viruses mutate all the time. Like each like they just each each time they replicate they they can mutate and most mutations are 
uh, harmless. Like they don't change much in the virus. They don't make them weaker or stronger or anything. But, but some mutations will change the function, which is the virus function and give it advantage or disadvantage. If they have disadvantage, they, they got eliminated in some way, but the ones with advantage will propagate faster. So, and the more chances we give, they're very rare, the, the, the mutations that can give advantage, but eventually they will happen. And the more, so we really made this bioreactor from the world during last year, and we let the virus propagate and replicate so many times like during last three months, there was more infections um, with SARS coronavirus 2 than during all the time before. Like, so from January last year or December 2019 till three months ago, there was less infections than during last three months. So we reached this volume that, that this bad mutations happen. And, and and create the create the variants. Yeah, and especially if you have the mutation that makes the variant more transmissible, more infectious, this is the one that will take over because it's faster. So it it, it will propagate faster. And is there any way to like predict the trajectory of a particular variant, or is it just sort of something that you have to? wait and see for so with i think you could predict from biological features of the new variant but but the reality and the trajectory the real trajectory happens faster that we can investigate by bio, the biological properties so we can just see from the numbers um and 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 that's what with, with this b117 variant that's what was visible that while the old variant, the original variant was going down, the number of cases was going down, the new variant cases skyrocketing. were skyrocketing. Were, yeah, were, were, were skyrocketing, were going up. So under uh, certain restrictions where, for example, the for the old variant, the, the doubling time, the halving time would be three weeks, for the new variant, it would be two weeks of doubling time. So instead of going down of halving, it would grow up. And, and they can, one can calculate um, the proportion of R values. So the replication number. So how many people one person on average infects. And that gives that this new variant is for like 30 to 50% more transmissible. Well, and, and that's really what, like, this is what ma is maddening to me, right? Like, this isn't, we're not doing this podcast in February 2020. Like, we know, we, we've seen what they do. Like, it might be, it's not the Alberta variant, right? Like, this variant existed in other places. We know what it did in the UK. We yeah, know, we know. We already know. Yes, it, it's a real life experiment, what happened there. And we can see this two waves, like, a wave of the old variant going down and under it the wave of the new variant going up and okay in UK they didn't know it so they just seen the overall wave that was so sort of flat and they say oh we are safe and then this under wave under current wave shoot up and then they're like oh my god we have the new variant that is doing this crazy stuff but 
okay, so they were caught by surprise, but we have their experiment and we see what it did. And we have all the modelings, which are, okay. <laughs> I heard from yesterday, like people saying, which is, sorry, I diverged here, but it was like, oh, it cannot be true because it's such a high number. So this model cannot be true because it's such a high number. And it's almost like saying like, you know, it cannot be true because I have, it's higher than 10, I have only 10 fingers. Like, there is no bigger numbers than 10. And just, <laughs> I mean, we definitely like, have people, like I, I get why people are at a place where they're looking for reasons to, to be done with this shit. You know, like we were talking the other day and I said, one of my, the variant came up the other day and a friend of mine said, who gives a shit? Or the variant, I should say, came up the other day and my friend of mine said, who gives a shit? And it's like, I don't even question that that's like a, normal response for somebody at this point because we have dragged like this has been a year of our lives up and down and back and forth and and mixed information and all these things but we're not still dealing with this because of the virus we're still dealing with this because of us like we are the re policy is what has created what we are going through and so now we have all of these people in the country that are completely covid fatigued or whatever and it's going to be even harder to impose the necessary sort of restrictions that will snuff out this next wave because now they're like well people aren't gonna people won't stand for any more lockdown or whatever well you didn't do it right the first time you screwed it up you wouldn't pay people to stay home you wouldn't give businesses the the uh the guarantee that they weren't going to be in any danger of closing their doors you didn't do any of the things that, and you didn't hold it out hold on to it long enough mm -hmm. and now we're sitting here and, and nobody cares about it anymore and that to me is why it's going to be 10 times worse like when when restrictions lifted on february 8th here like mo and i were talking about this the other day like restaurant parking lots were like pardon my french but fucking packed packed people went they do what they're allowed to do. I do what I'm allowed to do in life. Like these days, maybe I pay a little bit more attention to the fact that the people give, making the rules are idiots and I should maybe think past that. But generally you do what you're allowed to do. You know, like I smoked in restaurants until they told me I couldn't. Like I, whatever, you do what you're allowed to do. And so as soon as you tell people that they can go back out, especially in Alberta, especially when they're already sick of this shit you're out of what all they hear when you talk is everything's great we're almost done i, I watched a freaking enterprise rental car commercial the other day that said this is almost over guys we're almost back to being able to do all the things no we're not and i'm interested in that contrast that on the one hand we have vaccines uh, going into people's arms. Obviously, here in Canada, it's a lot slower than we'd like, though apparently we're getting a big shipment soon. But on the other hand, you have these mutations going around that are even worse than the, the you know, original COVID. And uh, apparently in like every way, right? We're hearing now that it's more fatal. 
and obviously that it's more transmissible. So like, I, I think it's really hard for people to, you know, hold those two things in their head simultaneously, right? That yes, the vaccine is on the way and that's a step forward, but we also have to be on guard against these variants. So how, how, how do you suggest people sort of um, hold those two thoughts simultaneously? Mm. So I think some people present it as a race between vaccines and new variants, but I don't think that such thing is a good analogy because uh, variants are so much ahead, such they have, uh, so vaccine, like variants are already two, made two loops of running and vaccines are just starting. Um, and the vaccines from the start, uh, I would like to, I see vaccines as a, another tool that can help us to eliminate the virus, not as a um, big savior that will do all the, all, all the work. And when you do the math of it, like we don't need what, um, what effectiveness of trans against transmission of the vaccines is. So we know that it's 90 to 95% effective, but it's effectiveness, this efficacy is efficacy against symptoms, not against transmission. The efficacy against transmission is still not known. And probably it's not 90%. So the math shows that to be, in order to for a vaccine to reduce R value from three to one, um, so to just get to the threshold of herd immunity, uh, the vaccine would need to be 90% effective against transmission and 70 something percent of people would need to be vaccinated. Uh, if, if that would be reversed, so only, it would be only 70% effective, then 90%, uh, more than 90% of people would need to be vaccinated. And it's just to get to threshold, assuming that R0 is three, and we don't know what R0 is of, uh, of, of, of the virus because we, we, we started to measure R when already we had uh, some not normal lifestyle, right? So we don't know how much people on average would infect, how, how many people one person will infect had we live like in 2018, if, if we would have no, no restrictions, no self-restrictions, nothing like this. So vaccines save lives, they help with limiting the spread, but by themselves to, to stop the spread, to do the main cleaning job, I don't think it, it, it will work. So even with the old, old COVID. Um, and also I did the math for like comparing lockdown, like New Zealand lockdown, Austria first wave lockdown or Victoria, Australia lockdown efficacy with limiting, with uh, slowing, like with eliminating, with eliminating local transmission and vaccines. So to get, so basically what those lockdowns did, they brought, assuming that R0 is three, they brought from at least R0 three, R value from three to 0.6, uh, right? Because we had, we had- Just with lockdowns. Measures. That's with, with strict lockdowns, we have this halving time of like four to six days. 
So it's around, let's say, our value of 0.6. For a vaccine to go, if you put in this mathematical formula, R0 of the initial R of three and the ending R of 0.6 to make the vaccine as, as, as effective as a lockdown in getting numbers down, then the vaccine would need to be 90% effective against transmission and 89% of people would need to be vaccinated. So just this math shows that lockdowns are more effective than vaccine in slowing down the spread. Well, and faster, right? Like, like you can't, you, you just literally can't vaccinate 90% of your population in a period of time that like a lockdown, like you said, like we've talked about like the seven week thing, right? A full lockdown for seven weeks going for COVID zero. And like you said, then having 28 days of zero transmission or whatever, that's faster yeah. than it would be to, to uh, vaccinate 90% yeah. of the 4.5 million Albertans or the 38 million Canadians or so on and so forth, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so no vaccine can be that fast. That's the, the lockdown. And actually now it's just six weeks to get down from 340 cases around. We would be at end of, end of March, we would be at zero community transmission. If we would make the strict lockdown with, uh, okay, sorry, I, I go back to the vaccines. Uh, yeah. Like why they are so, so vaccines are super effective against, um, they, they, they are super good tool in reducing the R when we add it to the, to the mixture. So to reduce the R value by 30%, we would need just, just the, the, the vaccine would need to be 70, just 70% 70 efficient against transmission and just 43% of people would need to be vaccinated. And that will give the reduction of if we have lockdown in place as well. If we have if we had the lockdown, so we, let's say right. we have our value of uh, 0.9, and we want to reduce it 30% to 0.6, then this like not super effective vaccine, just 70% and 40 something percent people vaccinated would would help to reduce this number by 30% from 0.9 to 0.6. <laughs> If, if we have any of our uh, conservative friends listening to this show that hate listen to this, and they are the ones that were all against uh, harm reduction and supervised consumption sites, let me just say the same thing that your friend said to us when we tried to push for that. It's just one of the many tools in the toolbox to solve this problem, you guys. The vaccine isn't going to fix your life the way it it's not a be all end all fix to what you're trying to do. We need different tools to, uh, to make that work. I don't know. That's what they always said to us when, when, whenever a conservative politician got up to talk about why we shouldn't have supervised consumption sites, they were just like harm reduction is only one tool in our box. You guys, which is exactly what harm reduction advocates say. Right. And so, but they would use it as a reason to not have that tool, right? It's only right. one tool. It misrepresents like the a, argument. A, a hammer is only one tool, so you don't need a hammer. <laughs> Whereas we're saying a vaccine is only one tool, but you still need the damn vaccine. We're just saying here that if it's being sold and has been sold for a few months now, even through that second wave, was that this vaccine was going to just be the end of COVID. We, 
the vaccine's here. All we got to do is have enough doses and it's over. But we know that 90% of people aren't going to go get this vaccine. We know that. They, there's no way they will. Not, not without ma- like a mandatory vaccination mandate. There's no way. Yeah, and the government. There's no way that 90% of Albertans are going to vaccinate against this thing. It can be even difficult to reach 70%, I think. For sure. And especially that kids are not vaccinated, like the vaccines are not, not for kids yet. So then we can have for a long time spread between kids. And they can spread, they can be infected. And, well, and they can die and from can, this too. Yes. And, and it can still mutate and learn. So we are now in this, we are training the virus. We're really training it to realize its full potential in being nasty. Jesus Christ, we're an Olympics gymnastics coach. Yeah. Why, why were the vaccine trials, uh, why didn't they involve kids um, at the beginning? Yeah. Because kids know. aren't in danger, as they say, Jeremy, right? Haven't you heard? Kids don't, kids don't have to worry. Like in Alberta, you have to be 82 to be in danger, according to our premier right like they 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 hint at concern for other things but they gloss over anytime somebody in their 20s dies like this isn't and it's always like oh well you know they had comorbidities <laughs> what are you talking about man they were in their 20s and they're dead dead whatever comorbidities they had they were living with and now they're not alive yeah. You know, and like we had that guy in town here that was like his uncle died of COVID. And he's like, he didn't die of COVID. He was 89 and he had a bum ticker. What? Your uncle made it to 89 with a bum ticker. I'm pretty sure his ticker was pretty all right to make it to 89 for one. And for two, he still nothing killed him. And then COVID did. And you're like, well, it was his time. <laughs> well, yeah. And like, like my grandparents are all dead now and have been for several years but i would have liked to spend more time with them if possible i would have liked for them to live longer even though they were clearly at the end of their lives you know so um it it is really i think that is the perfect analogy scott it's harm reduction it is yeah and i just wanted to ask one more thing uh um so obviously the solution is to implement this COVID zero strategy, to have like a short-term, relatively short-term full lockdown to get to zero. But, you know, you see Kenny, you know, go up there at his pressers when he's talking about reopening the economy. And obviously this is totally disingenuous from him, but he says, I mean, look at the mental health effects of lockdown, among other things. But that one in particular rings really true to me because I think, you know, COVID has really had a negative impact on everyone's mental health. And part of that is lockdowns, right? Just having, especially for someone like me who lives alone, right? So how how do we get people to accept the need for this intense lockdown that in the short term will hurt a lot you know 
mentally and emotionally, but in the long term will get us to that point where we can have mass gatherings again, like they are in New Zealand. So we have already one year of lockdowns or demi lockdowns, half lockdowns, moderate something, uh, and it affects our mental health. That would be just six weeks, maybe not just, but okay, six, uh, and it will be over. And then we don't need any more lockdown on, and, or even any more half lockdown or, or, or other half restrictions. We, we already had more than six weeks of almost full lockdowns and months of demi-shutdown. So six weeks of, of lockdown, supported one, uh, totally like throw everything in the six weeks, give as much money to people as, you, as your budget possible allows. So that would be like 6,000 for the six weeks for every family and, and get it over with. So make strong supported lockdown with a good policy and and then out of it we will have no more lockdowns no more waves no yo-yo no like people can hug their friends uh and have a normal life like relative relatively normal like 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 people have in australia in vietnam in new zealand like people had in summer in atlantic canada they were closed in the bubble but but they could travel locally they could have beer in the beer garden with their friends we couldn't do it here uh, really freely, uh, so that would th th that's what I, I would say. It's six weeks of pain, but it doesn't have to be strong pain if we are supported. They are, and the thing is, Jeremy is the people that are talking about mental health problems from lockdowns right now are just cherry picking bullshit aspects of that and taking what is like legit like loneliness is a real thing that affects people but that is not the mental health aspect of this that they're cherry picking or pretending is a problem they're saying that people are mentally that their mental health is unstable because they can't go to work yeah. that's what they're saying they're or saying like, that they can't go about there we can't we, we can't open our businesses they're not people are not their mental health is not suffering because they can't go to work or open their business. Their mental health is suffering in those for those categories because they don't, aren't having money come in to take care of the things that they need to take care of. So a business, if we, no one's saying lockdown for seven weeks, like we have before, where we just say, see in seven weeks. Like if we don't give people the resources to survive during that time, then that's on the policymakers who have all kinds of resources to make sure that Albertans can be paid to stay home. And then you're talking about like a vacation essentially for most people. And yeah, if there's a six week lockdown that you can't, you would be totally alone in that time. But if you didn't have to worry about anything else at all, you don't think we could like have some Zoom conversations and like keep your spirits up for that six weeks so that when this is all over, like this idea that people are killing themselves because of uh, not being allowed to go to work or whatever is it's fucking and maddening as somebody who lost a friend to suicide in all of this. Like I'm sick and tired of people like Drew Barnes pretending that they give two shits about the mental health of my friends and family. They don't. 
They just want the profit machine to churn again. Yeah. And for like rich white guys to be able to play golf. Right. Publicly shamed. Um, but yeah, I, I, it seems to me also a huge part of this um, con- concurrent uh, mental health crisis is the uncertainty of everything, which I think comes with these half measures, right? But if we had full lockdown, then people could, you know, it would hurt for sure, but people could at least see light at the end of the tunnel. There would be, I mean, obviously there's no certainty, but there would be something that more closely resembles certainty. It would be like, all right, we're doing this for like six to eight weeks and then we can go to concerts again or go. Well, to- you could just say we're doing this until we get to zero, folks. Like if it takes six weeks or 10, but we need to get to zero because this third wave we're about to get probably isn't the last wave either. Yes, and if, third, the, the lockdown. So if we don't go to the to lockdown now for six weeks to eliminate the local transmission, then we will have this third wave. We get to one thousand daily cases, and then our lockdown will need to be much, much longer and much, much stronger just to get them to three hundred daily cases like we have now. Right. Like when so they... we are, we we will have lockdown no matter what, but. Um, but now we can make it act proactively and get ourselves to uh, ourselves to freedom, or we can wait to do nothing, and then we will be forced to do it, and we will not get ourselves to freedom with the same effort. So well, and even just... sorry, yeah, even this last one, right? Like, what was it? December eighth, I believe, was when they implemented these these new restrictions because we were at like a thousand cases a day again, and did it. It's been a lot, it's been longer than seven weeks since then. Like, yes. right? Like that, it was two full months between the start of this half-assed lifting of restrictions until they started to lift those. That we're not even done the reopening, right? We're, we're two months in and we're just in phase one of this so-called reopening plan. Yeah, we'll so never get to phase two or phase three before we have to go back. Yeah, exactly. So it's really bad policy. It's super bad policy. And it's bad for lives, for health. It's bad for livelihoods. It's bad for small business and family businesses. Maybe it's good for somebody. I don't know. But for sure, for lives and livelihoods, it's not good. Well, I mean, there are people that made money off of this. Yeah, it's great for Amazon and Tesla and Walmart. Yeah, I mean, and like... but let's not call it the economy. It's not the nope. economy measured in GDP and in unemployment or employment rate. Uh, International Monetary Fund, fund, which is not your socialistic something. They are not really <laughs> quite the opposite. anarchists. <clears throat> and, and they show, if, if International Monetary Fund shows that it's better not to have COVID, like, so that means that probably COVID is not good for the economy. Uh, Canadian economists also showed that that uh, mitigation strategy is much worse than going near to ze- to, to near zero COVID. Uh, so, like the vice president of, of of Scotiabank is on board with that. So, if economists show okay, it's not good, then 
that we are not really balancing co economy with, with lives. We are balancing something else. I don't know what it is, but it's not economy. Um, well, th that's exactly right. Like this idea that like these, these lockdowns are bad for the economy. No, what we, how we have approached this entire situation has been garbage for the, your so-called economy that you're so worried about. That's what's been bad for the economy. Dragging this out like a bunch of idiots, continuing to smash our face into the same wall over and over again, knowing that it hurts, knowing that it'll leave blood. We keep doing it. And it's like, at this point, I don't, I mean, I'm honestly out of ideas as to what is in their head. Like sometimes I can figure out what I think the UCP is doing in Alberta, right? Like it's ideological. They're really married to this or that or the other thing. Like they absolutely know that reopening our economy right now is going to lead to dead Albertans. So like, at what point do we start saying they clearly either don't, they, they give that little of a shit about who lives and dies or they like are wanting people to die at this point because like you just don't, you know what I mean? Like if you walk into a burning building and just stand there, like you're asking to die. I like, I just thought, I don't get it. Like this is literally what we're doing. The building's on fire and we're walking into it. We're not like, oh, I wonder what this will be like. We know exactly what's going to happen. And yet here we are. And, and in Alberta, we've been one of the worst jurisdictions really in North America at freaking figuring this out. And yet we continue to do this and we continue to discredit experts who say this is happening. And like, it doesn't take much of a Google search of your name to see that you were saying this before the last wave and before the first wave. So what does it take to get them to listen because I know in six weeks, if, if this explodes, like we think it is, I'm going to have people in my life that are just like, this is bullshit. The government, blah, 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 blah. Like, and what do I say to those people who just don't care anymore? They're just done. They don't care anymore. Like, how do I help them? I don't know with this not caring anymore it's like it's also fault of this like of this policy because it's not actually i don't blame people who don't care right if dr hinshaw says our primary goal again is saving the healthcare system why should they care honestly like somebody who's 25 years old and just want to drink beer with their, with, with other dudes it's because it's not about him then. It's not, not, we don't want to save your life or your grandparents or make your life COVID free. We just want to make sure that the hospital system doesn't collapse. It, it's not something that people can accept. I can, okay, maybe you can, maybe my, my friends who are doctors, they worry about it. But somebody who's 25 and wants to have fun probably like you cannot get such a person on board with such a message because it's not telling him, hey, if you cooperate with us in six weeks, you will have normal life and you can go to a bar, play with your friends, have fun, have yeah. life like you had. And only COVID zero can give such a message. And that, that was the message in New Zealand. That's what the, that was the message in Australia that it will be freedom for everybody, not just 
um, saving the system. I mean, it's been sold to people as an inconvenience, right? From the very beginning, like, ah, this is really like, you know, we get how this is really hard on you and blah, 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 blah. But like, I mean, we had, this wasn't something that was like the inconvenience side of this wasn't supposed to matter. Like what, what happens to the economy wasn't supposed to matter. Like when we first started, we were like, we need to save lives, but they started from the very beginning of selling us on the idea that we're not going to be able to save every life. That's how they, that's how they sold this from day one. Well, we're going to have to live with this. And as long as the hospitalization rates are down. So what, if the ICU is only half full, none of those people are going to die? No, 1% of all the people that catch this virus are going to die for sure. Dead, if not more. Mm-hmm. If everyone gets COVID, that's 1% of a whole lot of people. People think, oh, well, it's a 99% success, uh, survival rate. If 38 million Canadians get COVID, 380,000 of those people are going to die, minimum. Minimum, because probably it's higher than 1%. Probably it's higher than 1%, right? And then what happens if you get hit a few times? And what? And then 10% with, or even more with long-term right. complications. Don't tell me that their like, that their body isn't susceptible to something else down the road because they had COVID. Like, you, yeah. oh well, I I recovered from COVID, so I'm 100% healthy again. We don't know that. In fact, we have enough information to know that that's not how it works. No, no matter how it, old you are, it leaves an effect. Yes, and it's already uh, almost like a year, so we had long time to learn this and. And by the, by now we, we we know that so it's it's something. Jeremy, you got any qu- last questions for our guests before we let her get back to her Saturday? No, but uh, thanks for coming <laughs> on. And uh, um, you know, I think the work you do is very important um, at this time, especially. And might uh, be the most important gig in Alberta right now, in my eyes. Yeah, and, uh, you know, thank you for speaking out, and uh, hopefully uh, people listen to you, but uh, even if they don't, keep on, you know, speaking truth, and I know it can be lonely sometimes, but you're doing what's right. You're doing the right thing for everyone, and so we're very happy to uh, help get that voice out, because... um, like you said, we talked about this earlier, right? Like, it's really simple. Like, this isn't a, this isn't a, right? There's not a lot of jargon involved in a lot of scientific, you know, whatever involved here. Okay. Like, it's, like you said, it's pretty easy to tell what's going to happen, right? Yeah, and, and how simple it is. It's like, okay, so yesterday, yesterday again, someone, some public health official in BC actually said, oh, those are models. They are just models. Models are not absolute certainty. Like, but these models are simple. Like if you, so if you are in a car and you are driving 100 kilometers per hour, you know, in four hours, you will be 400 kilometers away. It's just a model. It's not a full certainty, but it's how simple it is. So you cannot disregard something because it's a model 
So no, no, don't tell me that I will be uh, from Calgary and I, I will reach, if I start now from Calgary, I will be in Edmonton in four hours. It's just yeah, you don't know that. That's you just don't a know. guess. You don't, it's a guess. It's a guess, anything could happen. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, ultimately, that's what science is, right? It's taking the data you have, making educated guesses based on it, and then observing, right? Yes, and now there's models are so there are models that fit vari like variables in it, and then you they spit out the result, and there are models like this car that you have a lot of observed data and extrapolate them. So now we can feed so many real data and we have real life experiments like in UK. Uh, so the model is pretty, pretty close to certainty prediction now. Yeah, like some it's things not... in science are no longer, no longer educated guesses. Like we know certain things to be true the way they, like they behave or hundred yes. percent the same way all the time, right? Like this is how we know certain aspects of science to be actual fact, whether they want to argue about what a theory really means or not. Right. But this is very simple. This thing is alive. It eats just like you and I do. And we are the food that it eats. If you want it to go away, you have to starve it to death. Yeah. You have to starve it to death. You cannot give it chances to replicate and jump from person to person. We keep trying to starve it to almost death. And like she said, with her cells that live over, a, barely survive a long weekend and can be resuscitated, this is what we're doing, folks. We're resuscitating a virus because we think those numbers are low. Any number is too large when you're talking about a cell that transmits to other people and continues to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. One is too many in a group of people, right? Yes, one is too many. It has to be zero. Let's end on that. I, although I will say, I will say it's funny. We talked about the modeling. You notice how it's the same people that are saying that uh, this very scientific biological modeling of what is going to happen with these viruses. The same people that say that that's just modeling, don't worry about it, are the same kinds of people that say, economists say this pipeline will create 37,000 jobs and everybody like that's written in stone, you guys, it's a guarantee we're gonna have 37,000 jobs because of this barf. If you wanna question modeling, go see an economist. If you wanna get <laughs> some answers, and know what's coming, talk to a scientist. It's very simple. Anyways, Gosha, thank you so much for coming. Oh, you got something to say. <laughs> I should say thank you, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, and apologies for mispronouncing your name. Uh, well, I didn't notice. Oh, okay. I said Gosia, which okay. I'm sure is pretty common. Mistake. Yeah. <laughs> She's probably used to people like us just bumbling over stuff oh, like this, normal. but I appreciate I... being so patient with us. I, I, I mispronounce <laughs> other people's names. That's, that's normal if you have live among different cultures, right? Yeah, well, we don't, we don't like a lot of syllables in our names because we're not super good at uh, saying long words, I guess, in Canada. <laughs> One syllable is enough for a name, right? But then I cannot remember your names because Dan, <laughs> Bob, Tom. Everyone's got the same name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, I get it. There, there are a lot of Jeremy's in Calgary, I've noticed. But Jeremy, I can, it has some syllables, but... If you see a kid... If you, 
Go ahead, sorry. Okay, okay. Thank you very, thank you very much for inviting me. It was, <laughs> it was really nice to talk with you. Really nice to talk with you and thank you so much for coming. I, we really appreciate it. And like we said, like the work you're doing is obviously extremely important. Um, who cares? Well, it matters that they don't listen, but uh, whether they listen or not, keep doing it and, and we'll keep helping you provide that voice. Uh, it's the time on the show, you guys, where we say a little bit of a thank you to those of our patrons who go way above and beyond anything we think we could ever ask for. So to Dave Bondmiller, to uh, Big Red Machine, and to Chris Derwald, maybe our biggest number one fan. We love you guys, and uh, thanks for everything you do. To our other patrons, really appreciate everything you guys do. To listeners, share this one, you guys. This isn't about um, anything. This is this one's about getting a really important message out there. So if you don't share the episode, at least tell people what Gosh is talking about, and let's see if we can get um, enough of the public on board that we can push our government to do the right thing for once. Jeremy, appreciate you coming here. Always a pleasure. Mo, it's the last time I'm going to record with you as you being a coworker. So I'm a little bit sad about that, but you're not leaving me. So he'll still be around. And uh, Gosha, please have a great weekend. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you very much. Okay, you guys Bye. take care. We'll see you next week.